Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your powerful and very good word that's transformed our lives, changed us from the inside out, and also transforming us as a community. And we do pray as we listen to you well that we'd be benefited and strengthened and that our fellowship and our sense of belonging to would increase. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was chatting with one of my kids while we were walking from Chiswick back to Dremoyne just in the last week. And I said, how, how are you getting on? And he said, yeah, pretty well. I said, out of 10, how, how are you getting on? He said, eight. Okay, so what's stopping it from being a nine or 10? Anything, any problems? And he said, oh, no, it's just that I'm a bit hot and tired and need a rest. And I think I'll be going up a little bit. But I wouldn't go up to a 10. I'd have to be somewhere at Luna Park or something like, Luna Park would be 10. And I imagine Luna Park would love to hear that comment. And it made me think about church life. Um, Kids and adults, those here tonight, teenagers, um, it's good for us to think, I really enjoy my church family, gathering to sing and pray, hearing God's word read and preached. Uh, I like developing good friendships at church and becoming family even with this group of people who are uh, together following Jesus. And so we will, however, keep letting each other down as a church family. Expectations won't always be met. We will fall short of where God would have us go. And yet, even still, it's good to anticipate good things as you join into the life of God's household. More than anyone, God himself wants to see this happen. Uh, We should think with anticipation and positivity and some optimism of what God's household will bring in our lives. God wants this to happen, and he wants church leader elders to lead in this space to ensure that people do have uh, a good experience. We've seen so far God wants to save the lost. He's called God the Savior through 1 Timothy. But now we see how God wants to also care for the found. He wants to save the lost, and he wants to care for the found. So how does God do that? Well, first, God wants Timothy's church and all churches to be an encouraged church family, an encouraged church family. The God who made male and female and who loves churches made up of males and females wisely directs Timothy to treat the church with honour and purity a godly person would treat his own family with. And so verse 1, he writes, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort, encourage him as if he were your father. This exhort, encourage word is that favourite word we noticed a few times so far in 1 Timothy. And Paul is here applying it across the church. In verse 1 there, it looks like two sentences, or it is in the NIV. But from Paul, it's actually one sentence. So it reads more like this. Encourage an older man like a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. That is, the encouragement is for all, not just for the men, uh, the older men. And so Timothy, I think, saying, he's already said, um, your youth shouldn't be despised, but it is wise to remember that you are younger than other men and women that you may have authority over in the church to serve. And so just as male-female differences are appreciated in churches, so too age differences remain something that's relevant inside the church as it is outside. Uh, 
um, a young pastor remembering that he is young will be less disrespectful and less dismissive and less unwise as a result. And while this chapter gives direction for Timothy, we can also benefit much as we reflect on this our situation, and we'll do that tonight. Um, here, as we look over Timothy's shoulder again and read the letter Paul was writing to Timothy, uh, we see, for example, here how Paul leads uh, people to have strong relationship with him or to see how he develops such strong bonds with people in so many churches. So he's a church planter. You read his letters and he has strong relationships everywhere. How does he do that in such a short amount of time? Well, I take it these first couple of verses are a really good insight, a good window, that he saw Christians as brothers, fathers, mothers, sisters. I don't know if you've met people like that who are just very warm and people bond to them quickly. And there's almost a a family familiarity that people have that just opens up relationship. Well, here the bonds of family applied to the church have wonderful implications. Um, We might naturally call on each other for help when we need help. It might be we call someone here at 3 a.m. in the morning, and 3 a.m., and that's not a problem. We're the kind of community that don't mind being woken up for a good reason from one another. We might offer help to one another because we're family. We might care for each other and check in on each other when we notice we're away or have been sick. Um, Our recent membership uh, process, by the way, is to make this less of a wish in our church and more of a conscious norm in our church, that you commit to me and I commit to you and and to you and to you and I'm in and so am I and, and we're in this together. So it's one more means to say that this is my spiritual family. In a world with so many approaches to male-female relations, and it seems the world doesn't know what to do in this space, where there can be a separation or a distrust or whatever, Paul calls on Timothy to encourage, in verse 2 there, encourage older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And so this would help Timothy to not just have a ministry to 30- and 40-year-old men, but like Paul, he too is going to be an encouragement to all. Uh, older men, younger men, I take it children as well, female of, of, females of diverse ages as well. And I think it's worth pausing here a moment to reflect on our church's own approach to men's and women's ministry. So we currently see it with our pastoral team. We see it better to avoid a strict delineation here in this church of between men's and women's ministry. Those two things are still important, but as leaders the pastoral team at least, want to be really accessible to all. And the elders and congregation leaders as well want to be helpful to as many as we can. And so Paul considers it helpful to add here, with absolute purity. He may be talking about Timothy relating with younger women. Probably that's the focus. But it may also be everybody in the church this applies to. And I pray as a church this purity would be our standard as well, absolute purity. I want to say, too, if you think we're getting that wrong at any time, please let us know. It may be through unwanted attention or gestures. Please let the person doing it know, perhaps, if that's uncomfortable. Let another elder know. Let another congregation leader know. Let a a brother or sister here in the congregation know. But that might be um, processed. And we can deal with any 
um, real or perceived impurity as best we can. How does God care for us? Well, he gives us encouragement through leaders addressing us as they would like family members. Um, And so a few months ago, we were in a queue at that um, gelato messina at the tram sheds. We go there every now and again, and a young woman was talking to her friend. It was pretty packed in the queues. And um, a woman saw that her friend was about to back into us, and she said, oh, watch out for those randos. Uh, I couldn't believe it. Um, She didn't say in our hearing, look out for these people or even look out for those strangers, but these randos found out this means those random people, these randos. We thought it was both hilarious and a bit disturbing at the same time. Well, I hope the leaders in this church won't treat you as randos, but more with you the respect you might expect in a healthy home. Now, families work differently across cultures and generations, and expectations, therefore, in the church can be a bit different. Um, But let's be aware of it and let's keep moving more towards going from friendly to friends to family. How we see each other affects how we treat each other. And God, again tonight, is giving us eyes to look at our church. And when we look at each other, we should see family. Second, we see the Old Testament and Jesus' concern for orphans and widows stretching into the New Testament as we should expect. So James chapter 1, for example, verse 27 says, Religion that that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. It was often a barometer in the Old Testament to see how pure, how godly, um, how well Israel were going. If they loved God, they'd take care of their vulnerable. We saw it in Acts chapter 6 where looking after widows was important for the church. And it was also a potential area of division. It seems this was an important part of the early church's life, to look after widows. And I take it widows in the first century were at a real economic disadvantage, uh, particularly elderly women. So it's it's addressing this group. And Paul gives it the bulk of this chapter. From verses 3 to 16, he thinks it's important enough to look after the vulnerable elderly women in the congregation. So second, care and guidance for widows, a caring church. To look after those who really need looking after, Paul writes in verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. And the following verses then provide some guidance as to how to sort out who most needs help. So for example, verse 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice not necessarily Christian, but their religion, by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. Well, this is pleasing to God. That's a creation. It should be a creation norm, an obligation. And we've noted that our created realities of male and female and age as well remain relevant in our church community. And so too here, family remains relevant and important for Christians. Far from honouring family, some cults, for example, get this wrong and say the more you belong to us, the less you need to have obligation and even relationship with your family. But not so the Christian. At a church level, to be good stewards of the church's giving, 
is to involve, avoid indulging or being naive or foolhardy or reducing family members' sense of responsibility to care for their own. So to where to be, be members of families and where to be aware that others should look after their own in families. So there are widows and there are widows, as we see two contrasting examples in verses 5 to 6. We see the widow, verse 5, who is really in need and left all alone, puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray. It's that theme of prayer again. That's what godly people do in 1 Timothy. They pray and to ask God for help. And here's the second kind of widow in verse 6. The widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, that is perhaps those still under their roof, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Notice in verse 6, a widow is described as dead while living. If she's living for pleasure, um, that seems to be fairly normal in our culture, that it's living for pleasure is something, of course, that you'll do in life. In the Bible, pleasure is a creation gift. It's something to be enjoyed. But living for pleasure is not where life is found, even if it's constantly marketed to us that, that way. And so whether you're a teenager or whether you're a retiree, to live for pleasure at any age is perilous. We might call it death warmed up or death with a pulse. She's dead even while living. Um, some further instructions, verse 9, show that this kind of aid is not indiscriminately given, but the goal is that God's household doesn't neglect, of all people, its elderly home missionary type widows. So it's, we don't really know exactly what's going on, but it seems there was a category of widows who had some kind of contractual obligation or a vow that they make to the church that they'll serve the church and in, uh, in return will be looked after financially. And Paul's just setting some boundaries for this process. This is before Centrelink and the government looked after um, those financially in need. It's not such a big problem in Australia. But I take it this principle can be applied more broadly. Here it applies to a widow's list. And so if you look in verse 9, so no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband. I take it if she's had a husband, um, and is well known, verse 10, for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. So I take it she has had a husband if she's a widow, but I'm not, I'm not so sure Paul is saying this wouldn't apply to people who are destitute as an elderly woman, unable to earn her own income. Um, if they haven't had children, for example, I think there's principles 60 years old, I don't know if there's any magic reason why it's 60, but perhaps showing this is at an age where earning an income is difficult. Uh, verses 11 to 15 bring some interesting direction as well. And it's hard to understand 2,000 years later in Sydney why those instructions are given. But just as the elders decide how the Mercy Fund will be spent and who should receive help from the Mercy Fund in our church, or we as a congregation decide which missionaries, uh, how much missionary support we'll give each year. Paul wants money to be well used and going where it's most needed. 
he doesn't want dependency that's unhelpful. And he says young widows, for example, would be better off without this dependency or without making this pledge of commitment to the church that they'll be tempted to break. So verse 12, we read um, that it, it comes with that role. And in verse 16, he writes, If any woman who is a believer, say a daughter or a daughter-in-law perhaps, is a believer, has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. So if you're looking after a widow, I think Paul's saying to the, the community, keep doing that because that allows the church to look after those who are even more needy. Some think Paul didn't really care about women or that some even say that Paul was a misogynist. But here we have Paul really looking after the most vulnerable in a, in a culture that could easily disregard such people. He's saying this woman, um, a widow of no means, with no family looking after her, this servant of the church, these of all people should be looked after by the church. Imagine such a person being neglected or not having enough. She's elderly, she has no family, she's faithfully serving the church and she's in poverty. Well, since arriving in our church, um, I've heard stories of missionaries who've come back from overseas to Australia, suddenly in need of housing, transport, childcare, and the humbling provision of those needs being met. They come back and DPC has looked after them. It's such a good story. Um, I wonder in our case if we have, I don't know that we have great needs in the area of providing for widows who don't have enough income, but I, we do have gap students coming to Sydney, sometimes from rural areas that might need help. We have theological students in our church that have sacrificed income in order to train for ministry. And I wonder if we could provide, for example, some church accommodation in future years that allow people to live in an expensive city while studying. Uh, in recent years, we have a mercy fund that's given relief to a playgroup family who um, had a lot of sickness in their family and just needed help. And so the mercy fund can go there. We've had a Bible college um, family who met um, unexpected financial um, strain through no fault of their own, and our church has been able to help them. Our church in the last six months has helped another couple with chronic illness just to be able to pay some of their expenses while they were out of work. Many meals have been delivered across our church from those who've just had babies or who've just come out of hospital. Uh, many speak of home groups and the way home groups have been a blessing when people have been in need. God wants you to be cared for as we become a caring community. And Paul's pointing to the most vulnerable as a, as a case study. Third, in verses 17 to 21, he gives us and wants us to be a church that appropriately honours the under-shepherds in the church. So he says in verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are well, uh, church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. So to be working and threshing the grain, um, allow it to eat while it's doing some of its work. And the creation principle as well, that the worker deserves his wages. Now, personally, we feel adequately taken care of in this church. I'm on the pastoral team with Andrew and Janet. 
and we have denominations standards that mean we're not overpaid, that's the idea, and not underpaid. And it's a real blessing to be in my situation where I don't have to go and get a job through the, the day in order to focus on serving the Lord by serving the church. And there may be some here tonight who grow up further. If you're a younger person, you might go into ministry. I was telling one of my kids that I've got friends who in their 40s and 50s, even 60s, decided to go into ministry. It's a great way to live if, if God leads you in that direction. It's exciting, Mandy, wherever you are, that's heading into ministry and uh, just a, a change in this stage of your life. Some churches have a bad reputation for mistreating their staff and you hear of it and you think, don't work there. You'll get chewed up, spat out. Some pastoral staff have, um, in the past, abused the grace of their churches, been lazy or misused opportunities. But I, I love at this church there's a spirit of grace and um, gratitude with the committee of management and we seek, uh, we see all of our financial needs really well met. Um, the manse was fixed up for Andrew and Rachel before they moved in and, and for us before we moved in. Next in verses 19 and 21, part of honouring elders is to see they have justice. So sometimes in our job, and just very recently, I've had to say some hard things to people. And sometimes people don't like that, and uh, I don't think I have any enemies, but it's possible to develop people who really don't like something we say or do. And um, Satan and people can seek to bring an elder or a minister down unjustly. If we deserve it, well, we deserve it. But too often in the past, as we all know, through the Royal Commission, Victims in church and society have been unheard or dismissed or disbelieved. And that's, of course, not good. And now it seems the pendulum is really swinging in the opposite direction, which can create harm in the other direction, where the wisdom of the mob can mean that every accusation is believed and the precious presumption of innocence for the innocent is lost. Uh, I knew of a church where a minister was... Someone said, the minister did this to me. Um, The denomination got involved and withdrew him from ministry. And it took about two years to resolve. And still no one's really sure whether he said that or not. But that's the damage a claim can make. One's reputation in ministry is very fragile. And one false claim shouldn't, but it can, end a vocation. Um, Paul echoes the Old Testament law's minimum requirement, therefore, for two or three witnesses at least, just to create some kind of balance. There's no perfect system when people sin and then they lie about it. So it's not a, a perfect number, but it's, it's an attempt to balance. And he also says in the next verse, verse 20, that the sins of leaders or anybody may be publicly addressed. And that's a really unpleasant experience when an elder does sin and needs to publicly confess it. Verse 19. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those who are sinning, and probably the elders he's describing about, uh, describing, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. So we take our government standards on behavior in our church as well as our denomination standards 
where if you have a complaint, it should be appropriately heard. You can find more information on our website under Safe Church on, on the tab on Church Life. And in each of our buildings, there are contact numbers outside, external to the church that you can contact, as well as an internal contact, Naomi Burke, that you can contact for that. Um, Megan in our church often sends emails reminding us of breaking the silence training to avoid uh, problems happening in our church and to know how to report things. Um, Just recently in America, there was a a well-known pastor with hundreds of thousands of people listening to his sermons who was sending inappropriate texts to a woman in his congregation. She then told a friend about it in church. This pastor's sending me these texts and I'm sending them back, but this is what's coming in now. Uh, she then raised it with the pastor. The friend raised it with the pastor. He then was very disturbed and disappointed to see it, but he went and told an elder. The elders then made inquiries, uh, took the pastor's phone, and the, the pastor volunteered it. And uh, the, the elders sought to support the pastor, support the, the woman who's main, making the complaint, and supporting the pastor's wife as well, who was caught up in this. The elders asked that pastor, having seen the messages and deciding, yes, he was acting inappropriately, to confess to the woman uh, who wasn't named before the church and confess to the congregation as well, and to then to take leave while they worked out how long he may need to be on leave or what, what process needs to be undertaken. It was ugly. Uh, The pastor was in tears as he's confessing to the church. Um, Nothing physical took place. Nothing sexual was mentioned in the text, but it was inappropriate and he crossed a line. It was treated early and many godly people in the process, acting with transparency, made it much better than it could have been. God cares for the church and cares for you by caring about details like this. And so Paul said in verse 1, act with purity. Now he's saying, without partiality, it doesn't matter if it's the most senior person in the church, they too aren't above being called out on things. And so, so far Paul's emphasized, encourage all believers in verse 1, having a pure church family relationship, caring for those who most need it with the widows, honouring the elders who serve well, but also holding them to account without partiality when it's needed. Uh, Paul in this way seems ahead of his time, doesn't he? Uh, These are things the church have woken up to in recent years that we have been lapsed on in decades past. But these matter enough that Paul's language gets very heavy very quickly in verse 21. He brings the full weight of God and of Jesus Christ and even the angels to the cause for good measure. And he says, God is watching, Jesus is watching, his holy angels are watching you, singular Timothy, to not only keep these instructions but to do so without partiality. Verse 21, I charge you. This is the same word used to charge the false teachers in chapter 1. Now I charge you, Timothy, in the sight of God and Jesus Christ, And the elect angels to keep these instructions, these commands, without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. God cares for you, the church, by charging leaders with words like this. Now, we won't be Luna Park. I don't think we'll ever compete with Luna Park. 
but I pray God might use these years in the church to be richly blessed years among us. God wants your blessing. Blessing richer even than life. Imagine life lived at Luna Park. For me, that's not so attractive. (laughs) But God wants that blessed life for his household. When we left Walker, our last church, back in 2015, um, that was the last church I was pastoring. We left part of our hearts there in the church that we left. Uh, We loved the church, and they very warmly loved us. And so as I think back to the church, these four categories of people come to mind. Older men come to mind like Harold and Doug and Cameron. Young men come to mind like Stu and Ross and Andrew and Justin. Older women come to mind, women who taught me much and were a great blessing in our church, Heather and June and Yvonne, one and two. Younger women also became great friends and partners in the gospel, Beck and Alex and Rosie and Sam and Olivia, and many more people beside in the church. I look back on our church's life and our church's events. We had baptisms and Sunday school picnics, and working, we were working alongside musicians and Yes, there were rosters and people sought to fill rosters. There were kids' church teachers. There were missionaries who supported, we supported and who visited us. We were a church that prayed together and went through diagnoses of cancer together and we had funerals together. Uh, some in our church were admitted into aged care and remained visited and loved in that process. There were hellos and goodbyes as people came and went. We'd share meals with farmers and teachers and vets and retirees. And we were a diverse family of babies and kids and parents and grandparents. We were all just serving the Lord Jesus and trusting him with who we were and what we had. And the church, after we left, continued to be that. In some ways, we were just a very ordinary church. But we together were a family saying to our watching world, find God here. We are his people. We love him and that explains our love for each other. And as I come to DPC, I rejoice to see the same thing happening. I see his spirit joining and uniting us around a love for the Lord Jesus. It's very enjoyable. It's deeply satisfying. And we know together that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Well, let's pray. Our great God, we praise you, the God who saves us. We praise you, the God who cares for us. You save us into a family, imperfect, fallen, with sin in our lives, but earnest and desiring to love one another well. Father, forgive us for the ways we fail in that. Forgive us for the ways we continue our old lives, our old attitudes, ways that we didn't learn from Jesus. Father, as a a leader in this church, I pray for your forgiveness as well for ways I fall short of the great command and charge that you give those who lead in your church. Uh, Lord, also for the elders in ways they live beneath Christ's standards. We pray for your forgiveness and we pray for your help and we pray that there'd be lots of grace in our church 
a readiness to say sorry and to say, I forgive you. And Lord, that a, a stronger and stronger bond of love would build. We pray for this 5 p.m. congregation, Lord. We thank you for the new people who've joined us in recent months. Uh, we pray that they would really feel part of the family and we can more and more act and be a family. And we pray for your help in this. We pray for the working of your spirit among us as we uh, long for the Lord's appearing and look forward to that perfect fellowship we'll have in heaven. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.